Welcome back, everybody. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and I'm joined as ever by uh, the voluble uh, Jonathan Kidd. How lovely to be described as voluble. <laughs> so, somebody actually asked Jonathan on, on, on Mixler, Bonnie Rig, the lovely Bonnie Rig Blues, actually says, is he still locked in his studio? How many weeks is that now? I think just to, judging from how, how how much he's talking tonight, I, I'd say it's been quite a number of weeks, JK. You're going a bit stir-crazy, love. <laughs> I completely am. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, I had a no. three-hour chat with a, a studio engineer uh, who I hadn't seen for ten years at, at midnight, three o'clock in the morning. We're still chatting away. No way. Bloody hell. Guy, as well. He was looking good. Good, good, good. Uh, we've also got uh, a very esteemed guest tonight, old mucker of both Jonathan and mine, uh, oh. Mr. Rick Glanville, who, of course, is Chelsea's official historian. And I'm not going to list all the books Rick's done because he's done so many, and they're all brilliant. Um, Rick, we, you know, you haven't been on the podcast for a while. I was trying to think actually earlier on today. When was the last time you were on this this funny little last, show? Last year, I think. It was, was it? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, blimey. Um, yes, I remember now. Always, always love it. Always yeah. happy to be on here. Lovely stuff. Always we love having you. Try and uh, prove the history that we have and even the bad stuff like we're about to. Tackle. Well, indeed, indeed. I, do you know it's funny this because we're also, which I might rope you to do one of these if you're around at the moment. But we're, I'm doing a thing on Friday because we lost the Love Sports Show on Fridays because mm. uh, they've kind of, you know, mothballed it all. Um, and I thought, well, sod that. We'll we'll still put some content out on a Friday. So one of the things I've been wanting to do for years and years and years on the show, but never get time to do, is for each one of us to kind of recount talking of history. You know how we found Chelsea and and what <laughs> our favourite players and favourite matches how how we got here you know yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a lovely thing to do um, so I'd love to rope you in for one of those at yeah, one yeah, point. So sure, only about do. half an hour forty minutes so yeah. it's, they're fun to do it might be my pleasure to do it yeah we have a, anyway it might be my turn on Friday because Tony interviewed we I did Tony right Tony Glover and then he right afterwards interviewed me. Uh, Tony didn't quite get the format of it, so mine's twice as long as everybody else's to take account of the fact that Tony felt obliged to answer every question as well. You know, <laughs> isn't that your prerogative, Chich? Isn't that you know? What what's my prerogative? Well, you can take as long as you like in the interview. No, no, but I didn't. In, I didn't intend for Tony. The, the, the art of interviewing is to speak much less than the person you're interviewing. Do you mean he was doing that? Okay, right. Yeah, bless him. <laughs> but it's it's quite funny. We had an absolute giggle, and my story is very different from everybody else's because I'm a complete plastic compared to you lot. You know, I mean, I didn't come from a massive football family. Dad was a Portsmouth fan, kind of, and very different journey. So it might the people might be. Interested, and of course, my uh, my any reputation that I had before will be completely put in the toilet as a result. But there you go. Now, Rick, Rick was absolutely correct. Um, and actually, the reason I got onto that was because, of course, I wasn't there. This is what I would term when we were shit, really. Yes. You know, and and I think as on a historical point, you know, all this stuff we we kind of wear it as a badge of honour in a sense. But actually, when you look at it, there were very few periods in our history when we could actually unequivocally say yes, we were shit then. Um, I would say very late, uh, late seventies, early eighties, undoubtedly. But I think this is a moment in time that we were definitely heading in the, in that direction. Although, of course, all things are relative, and at the end of the day, we're still in the first division. Um, just to keep you all up to speed from last week when we had Tim on, and of course, we we, we talked a lot about uh, the redevelopment of the ground last week. And uh, as the season started, uh, the much vaunted East Stand uh, was still really half built. Yeah. And and not only that, but there were all sorts of other issues going on as well. A lot of the problems were to do with the... I think this is something that we will talk about later on, actually. But the in, industrial and economic 
context was very important. Yeah, three-day week, the oil crisis, the housing market crashed. All these things were going on, as you said, three-day week. But all of it really meant that we were thus far uh, £108,000 in debt. This this will be important for later reasons. Um, Now, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, Rick, uh, it's before the season started, but there was this infamous tour to Iran, wasn't there? Iran, people. Chelsea went on a summer tour to Iran. Yes, and in uh, the light of subsequent events, the overthrows shortly after that, That's right, it didn't yeah. look like a, a great choice. It was a, at the pers- personal um, invitation of the, the Shah, and um, because he wanted his son to learn how to play football. And he, so Chelsea did, you have this idea of Chelsea going over there and Tommy Baldwin is taking some Iranian youngsters through their paces. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're not, not swigging uh, <laughs> and things like that. Um, and uh, one of the things was that um, when, they, when the team came back, the Shah ordered two full kits, one home, one away, that he's... Uh, his son's team would play in. So somewhere there are some 22 Chelsea kits uh, over in Tehran or, or wherever. But I think what you're looking at, and you're, you're right to point it out, was the fragmentation of that brilliant team that had been a, a success really since the mid-60s. Um, you know, winning, getting to finals, winning cups. Um, Top five five. of the league. Absolutely. And... Um, uh, top, we'd been top since six since uh, 67, 68. Uh, and then we were 12th in 73. And as I would have been 12, 13 during this season, and I was looking through my programs that, uh, unfortunately, I didn't keep many of them, but the ones I did keep, and I was looking at that and thinking, you know what, actually, there was still, there was still a, a, a kind of, we were clinging to this idea that this would be a typical Chelsea thing, that they would get their act together eventually and we'd probably finish, you know, fifth or sixth and then uh, Ozzy and Huddy and uh, and Charlie and all the rest of them would make it up with Dave Sexton and uh, they'd stop their gallivanting and get serious again. And uh, unfortunately, it, it happened momentarily, really, in the middle of the season, but it was a, it was a, one of these things where when you're, you know, think you're 12, 13 years old, and you're in a North London school and every, you're a Chelsea fan and everyone is laughing at the debacle of Chelsea, losing our first four matches. Um, players on the transfer list all the time being dropped, uh, going out of the League Cup first round, going out of the FA Cup first round. We became used after this season to this notion that your season's over would be sung at us in January because all we had to go for for quite a few seasons after this really was relegation or promotion chasing. We weren't competing for anything like we had been for the previous uh, few years. And then we love symbolism at our club, whether it's inadvertent or deliberate. You had the grandiose East Stand, uh, a monument to vaingloriousness rising on one side of the pitch and then you had uh, simultaneously this great uh, team that everyone in football loved diminishing gradually players leaving being replaced by less good players so you had this kind of 
you know, this weird uh, imbalance, scales, in a way. an imbalance. And when you looked at the st the stand, because you're right, the east stand wasn't finished. It still had the boarding all along the side. You had temporary uh, uh, dressing rooms. You had to walk through the car park to get to them. Everyone was complaining about it. Um, but the east stand still looked like some kind of, uh, well, I, I think never had we looked more like the proper neighbour of Brompton Cemetery. We looked like a moribund club. Mm. Uh, towards the end of nineteen, towards the end of that season, it, it, it really. There's a wonderful. Um, I mean, you know, Tim. Uh, we'll get to this when we kind of do the summing up in a sense. But in in Tim's book, Stanford Bridge is falling down. He calls it systemic dysfunction, anarchy, and chaos. Which I just thought, if you want to describe that season in 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 you know four or five words, that would be it. I mean, Rick, I absolutely concur with you actually, because you know, even before a ball was kicked. There was that, it was kind of, it was the end of the road, the end of the Kings of the Kings road era. And it, 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 for the, it the impression, didn't have to be. it didn't have to be, I agree with that, but you could, you could see the signs, couldn't you? I mean, you know, just look at the transfer list. You got Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Mar uh, you know, John Dempsey, Marvin Hinton, all on the transfer list. Eddie McCready, he was really literally on his last legs that season. In fact, I, th I think he, did, you know, midway through Injuries, the season was his, yeah, yeah. yeah, but he didn't play again, did he? I think, don't think for the club after this season. Yeah. Um, Ian Hutchinson had played like eight he games out for months and months. And eight, yeah. yeah, you know, so he, he was people, obviously, I mean, as ever, you know, both Aussie and uh, Sexton were desperate for him to play. Aussie always felt that Hutch would get the best out of him and arguably he was right. So you could see that coming through. We also, interestingly enough, had youngsters coming through, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, in, in wonderful Chelsea, you know, I, in a sense, this is very Chelsea out of sync. We all know that a few years later, they really would come through. But of course, a lot of these youngsters, had, I think they'd been in the FA Youth Cup semi-final, hadn't they? Yeah, was it around yeah. that and time? Are you talking about, I mean... Well, right. well Wilkin, the Wilkins is yeah. Locke, Swain, Droy. Britain, yeah. Britain, all these yeah. people were coming through. Um but the, there was a reason why they were getting a chance, and that is because the the club was strapped for cash because everything was being spent on the stadium, and for the uh, all the kind of economic reasons that uh, you you kind of kind of touched on before, uh, there was a, a, a an international crisis, financial crisis, the cost of everything shot up, the cost of labour. Uh, inflation you had a because of the um, uh, problem with oil supply uh, all the cost of electricity and oil and petrol and everything shot up <clears throat> and the government decided they couldn't run electricity stations so we had we were uh, regularly having power cuts if you remember the three-day week too, yeah they? and Chelsea this is how poor we because we'd invested so much in this East End which was supposed to go all the way around that was supposed to be the don't forget the first of four yeah. stands the same as, it looked good didn't it the design well, that, it, looked good it, it, for that stadium but it, it was, was way too ambitious JK it was excellent yeah but way too ambitious yeah um the they period. hadn't they hadn't kind of uh saved you know mended the roof when the uh, when it was sunny they were spending too much money on something and using unproven architects Darbon and dark had never done a, a football stadium before so that 
and lots of what they did was impractical. Anyway, that's one side of it. So you have this three-day week, a symbol, again, of how poor we were, was that we couldn't afford an electricity generator. So we played one match. I think it was our lowest crowd for 54 years or Burnley. Something. Burnley. 11 o'clock, wasn't it? It was No, it was 3 o'clock on a Wednesday. Oh, that's right. Sorry, three, yeah, there was an 11 uh, o'clock kickoff, wasn't there? But could, it wasn't that one. Who could go to a 3 o'clock on a Wednesday? 8,171. Uh, because we didn't have a generator. When we played Tottenham later in the season, they had a generator. And with two minutes to go, we were winning. And the, the, the floodlights started to fade and splutter a bit. So the referee <laughs> blew the whistle 90 <laughs> seconds early. <laughs> yeah. That's a symbol for the season, if ever there was one, isn't it? Can I, I mean, just, can I just ask? JK, JK, go on. Can I just ask a question, which is, um, uh, when Mourinho um, struggled in his his Anus Horribilis, mm. um, and it was supposed to be player power, mm. and uh, he was sacked, and you can't help but think in the same way that that Sexton clearly had ideas about how the team would play that alienated the uh, the workforce, as it were, because he, he wouldn't ever let Hudson play midfield. Mm. He constantly put him on the wing. And he, and, it, and, I, and the origins of this is also were the season before getting rid of Weller, who was a fantastic winger. Well, he and, played him in a different position as well. And he, he, right, he right. played Rosie in midfield and, you know. But he had this idea, didn't he, Sexton, of specifically having a, um, a way of playing that was industrious, but also involved the ball being centred. So Hausman and, and Hutchinson actually became very important. And the fact that he wouldn't, he, he was trying to get Hutchinson fit and it just didn't happen. And that was horrendous. And I suppose that's why he kept Garner, why he bought Garner, because he was a cheap, but he wanted somebody who could replicate Hutchinson for Osgood. And yet the board seemed to be very, um, they exhibited, I'm trying to think of the correct word here, an element of pusillanimity, I can't even say it, they were pusillanimous by yeah. not gripping the situation and saying, well, actually, we can't get rid of these players. They are stars. And, yeah. and But he somehow managed to, whether they, because of his constant desire for discipline and alienating them, it, it, it just meant that, that they just seemed to, to rebel more and more and more. And surely somebody should have come in at board level well, and said I think this can't do this. I just want, I want to, yeah I want to get into this later because yeah. you're right in a sense that's that that is the fulcrum of this season but there's a really good point I think to to bring out of that JK that really happened at the start of the season which I because I wouldn't know because I I I wasn't there to see this but you know in my mind John Hollins is it was a wonderful midfield player okay, and in fact you you yeah. well you yeah you could say right you back. could yeah. you could say that him and Hudson were a great uh, midfield pairing, if you if you like, in modern parlance, like having uh, Makaleli and Lampard together, or Essien and Lampard together. There was that kind of synergy between them. But but Rick, he started the season weirdly playing Hollands at left back. Right. But back. we all we all sorry right. Well, okay, right back. Blame yeah. Tim. Tim McQueen <laughs> was left back. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think he was fit. Oh, he played the first few games. Mm. Anyway, Hollands is playing in defence. We also had striker problems as well and you're right we had an appalling start um jonathan i'm i'm I'm, you're a little bit older than rick aren't you so you you may well have made it to more of these but we lost three on the spin didn't we one nil to derby up there to a john mcgovern goal uh we lost to burnley one nil away uh and uh we we lost to sheffield united at home 2-1 which i i saw that on youtube tony curry scored an absolute pile driver of a goal 
Fabulous. Lee Curry was brilliant for us. He was the kind of player we needed to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, he was a Chelsea fan, and we were kind of linked with him at the time, but we didn't. We went for the bargain basement. We went yeah. for the, you know, we went to South End United for to, uh, you know, to get a player. Or you know, we, when you think of what we did, what we, oh. you know, when Doherty bought Charlie Cook and he said, and he replaced Terry Venables, he said, "I know what I'm letting go, and I know what I'm bringing in," and that was a trade up. We traded down regularly yeah. in the early 70s. And so the problems that you have and, uh, and the benefits for the young players were all about the quality of player. And where it went off the rails, I think the other thing you have to think about is uh, I'm a great believer that coaches have like a three and a half, four year sell by date. And then players don't listen anymore. They turn off, they switch off. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You want me to do this at corners. You want this, da da da. And don't forget the other mark of this season was the number of testimonials. Now, players got a testimonial when they've been playing for a club for ten years. This was a tired squad, you know, and it needed to be needed renovation. It didn't fusion with, yeah, exactly. So either you say let's make a a great thing about your Ray Wilkins and the rest of them. I mean, he was 17. You can't build a team around him. And Gary Locke and Ian Britton and the likes of those. But really, we needed those transitional players. We needed a Tony Curry's. Keith Wellow, if he'd stayed and been played in the right position, I think would have been a great player great for us. Player. I loved him. I sold for him me, for money. He was one of my favourite players of that yeah. period. He was just fantastic winger. I just, the joy. And that's what I was saying, saying I've said in all these shows, the the pain of having these players that you really did relate to yeah. as being the future being yeah. transferred was just so it was Kemba, such a bit, bitter no pill. one talked to Kemba did they JK no yeah. one what sorry no one what no one talked to Steve Kemba no no people looked upon him as being you when you say Cheech about Alan Hudson not being played in midfield Steve Kemba was playing in the Hudson yeah. role yeah yeah it wasn't he was criminal. That, that, that was a managerial, player, but, ridiculous yeah. managerial decision that well, yeah. I never understood. I didn't. And, and I have to say one aspect of the season, just before we forget about it, was how Peter Hausman had a, um, uh, a testimonial and yeah. only 10,000 people turned up for yeah. it. And which was uh, considering what a great servant he'd been to the club. And then it's eventually being, what was he at 20, 27 being sold to Oxford. And his peak. Yeah. Interesting you mentioned that. Just there was a dispute between Osgood and Sexton, a big falling out just before right at the that end. testimonial. Just before the testimonial, right? And at the Cafe Royale, uh, Cafe Royal, I should say, where they went for the testimonial dinner afterwards, David Webb organised a kind of uh, rapprochement between a reconciliation between Ozzy and Dave Sexton. And Ozzy came along and was outside, and Webby went in and said, he said to Ozzy, come on, I'm going to, Dave's inside, I'm going to get him to come out and shake hands with you. And he went in and he spoke to Dave Sexton and said, come on, come outside, Ozzy's out here, why don't you shake hands and get over with it? And Dave Sexton refused. And when he came out, Webby, he had to say that to Ozzy. And obviously Ozzy was thinking, well, that's great. I'm looking like a mug, aren't I, standing out here outside the Cafe Royal when you told me that. You've really mugged me off. So you can imagine those are the kind of situations yeah. where... Yes, there's uh, character flaws, mismanagement. Um, there's also stress, you know, uh, uh, um, just tension that 
and people not backing down and things. And that's what that season was all about. It was fractious, was mentioned about the Iran trip. I still haven't uh, got mm. out of you why it was, but that that seemed to run throughout the season. I mean, another really good example of this, and this, this happened very early on in the season, was that, you know, up until then, I think John Hollins may have been the captain or, or Eddie McCree. I can't remember which, but uh, Ron Aussie... Harris. Ron Harris. But Ron had been stripped of it the season before because his form was so poor. And I think John mm. Hollins... Like, Eddie was the club captain. Mm. Oh, and and John Hollins was the on-field captain because Eddie wasn't playing because he was injured. But you're talking about the Liverpool game, possibly when Aussie was that was uh, when was. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, no, Joe, December. Aussie was talk- made captain. Well, he was offered it no, early on in, in the season, and then ah. he was dropped the next game instead. No, that was that game. That was the right. Liverpool game. He was, the one they lost one nil. They lost one nil, um, and he didn't play badly. But they lost, and that was the that, again. That was another four in a row. Yeah, and that was critical over Christmas time. And Dave Sexton's looking at you know the exit. No, no, this the, that I'm talking about the one in September. Oh, uh, okay. Um, do you know who that was against? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the Liverpool game in September up at Anfield. Keegan scored one. Benetti saved a penalty. Oh no, that, that's ah uh, uh, okay. I, I know what you. Yes, okay. I, I know which one you mean now. Yeah. Um, I think it might have been before the Sheffield United game he was offered the captaincy but then that's dropped. That's right. That was that was the one I was that's what I thought you were talking about. Sorry mate, sorry. Well just just to follow that one through. He was offered the captaincy. He was a made captain. They lost 1-0. Uh and they were dropped all of them. Hudson, Bonetti, uh Baldwin I think. That's right. And and Aussie for the next game. So Aussie's gone from being captain to substitute and he was told him and Huddy didn't have a good attitude they were told to go and train with the reserves the stiffs Dario Grady and um, and of course they won that Sheffield United uh, match which was really really vital and won it 3-1 Dave Sexton went after, over to them at training the, the following time well, this, this is in January we kind in of January, moved that's right yeah, yeah, so, we, we, but we just moved. to tell you the story because it is indicative of the kind of stuff that was going on the whole season. So he goes up to Ozzy and he says, Huddy, you and I, you and I come back and train with the first team. And Ozzy goes, well, what do you mean? He said, come on, come back. You know, and he said, do you, but you dropped us and you won. You're going to pick the same team again. It's the first time you won in five games. So he said, what, are you refusing to do it? Yes. Okay, that's it. You go and carry on training with reserve. These are the kind of confrontations... Bad, bad communication, really. Exactly, but no one. I think they, I think things had festered. Don't forget, Aussie had been put on the transfer list in '71. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two know, years before, there'd been so many incidents. Uh, I think Aussie was doing a, an autobiography, and uh, he, he's mistraining, and he Charlie Cook was there, and a few others. And again, Dave Webb went to try and drag him out of uh, Barbarella's or wherever they were. Uh, doing the launch and they didn't come out these kinds of silly childish misbehaviors um there was a kind of end of era feel to to the whole thing it's a bit it it's a, going it, wrong it sounds very much like uh you know a long marriage that's reaching in the end exactly. of its nat- natural life where any really small petty argument gets blown up and another of- thing like, and oh, another yeah. thing, yeah, and then and then you get this awful kind of passive, passive. Not that I speak from experience, I should add, but you get this awful cut. Co- I know you do. A lot of what? 
You read a lot of books, Jid, you know. <laughs> that's, what, that's where I get all of my intimate experience from, Jonathan. Well, something like books, anyway. But, um, though, yeah, you know, it, it gets very silly and out of hand, and, and I think that's what happens. I mean, I, just to... You, you, we're kind of whizzing around the timeline a bit, but I remember reading in Tim's book about, um, you know, Ozzy floating off to uh, Marbella without telling anybody. I think he went with Alan, Alan Hudson, and they got fined 50 Hutch. quid. And then... He went with Hutch, so yeah, he did, and they got they they got fined fifty quid, uh, and then um, Tommy Baldwin did the same thing, and and it caused even more a problem. Talking of Tommy Baldwin, I mean there were some there were some you know it wasn't all doom and gloom at the start of the season. I mean I know we started appallingly, and it, and and, I, and we all know even now you know when when you lose I mean what how many games did they lose in the first kind of ten about five six games you suddenly know already that you're not going to win the title even in those days, so that was gloomy. But there were the odd shard of light here and there. I mean, uh, the, you know, we, we had that. We got knocked out of the League Cup by uh, by Stoke, which was a hugely disappointing. But we, we did have a couple of decent performances. Um, oh, not least... Sheffield uh, Southampton, and that was a when we won 4-0. That yeah, was a bit exactly. of a shock. That was during was. An unbe- a surprise, unbeaten run that we were... Four games... Well, we're actually one, two, three, four, five, six games without uh, being defeated. Um with four of those being draws. Uh, the next match, finally, well, next but one match after that was against Leeds United, who at the time were going for their, uh, I think, a record of 20 wins, unbeaten since the start of the season. Not not wins, but unbeaten since the start of the season, beating Liverpool's record the week before against Ipswich. Yeah. And this is, this is of course, this got some traction a couple of weeks ago, of course, because it famously features... Uh, Norman Hunter, poor old Norman Hunter, who died last week, yeah. squaring up to Aussie. But actually, yeah. we put in a decent before, even though we lost. And Leeds were a very good team then, yeah. and and we re- we had this ability. The point I'm making and, and labouring over is that we had this ability still, as you always do with great players who maybe you know lost faith or or getting past the sub but they have that ability to turn up occasionally and it strikes me even throughout most of the season that Chelsea were like that they had moments where they could turn up but mainly they were awful yeah uh, for all the reasons that we've said you know, the inconsistent inconsistency of team selection possibly playing people in the wrong position um injuries injuries again another problem that really we didn't you know that was even in 69, 70, we were, we, and 70, 71, we did all of that despite injuries, you know, serious injuries yeah. all throughout that period. And it carried on here. And that is something that you, um, you know, could you call, I loved Ian Hutchinson, but can you, can you call someone who's so regularly out injured a great player? You, you can, but you can say you can't rely on them. You can't depend on them because they're not available for selection. Um, and we had a lot of that happening during the week. I mean, God forbid, uh, Peter Bonetti's form went and he dropped him as well. And he played John Phillips for a, for a, several games. I mean, he John was very, very good for that period. He, he was, that was God that bless was him. Thankless time. I remember watching him and thinking, <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised Bonetti's not playing because yeah. Phillips is playing out of his skin. Yeah, and then I think, mm. I think he got. Injured. I don't think he missed games because of it, but I think it affected him, and then it, that affected his confidence. But this is the funny thing: you're so right, Chidge, about this season, because we finished seventeenth. We started off appallingly, but we, at one point we were something like tenth, you know, above uh, halfway. We had we had recovered. 
so that you're right that they could galvanize themselves yeah. like the it, southampton it always, game where they played brilliantly but it always gave sexton the opportunity to crow that's what i found um i got yeah. from uh, from the season was he would go no we we've done well with my um diminished team my workmanlike team i don't need stars was the way that he was arguing uh, and and um, of course they needed stars because then it otherwise it becomes a very ordinary side and as was as it became an ordinary side I despair yeah. now looking back at some of the players we were saying yeah there were perfect examples of the youth pushing people through but you needed the combination of the youth plus the experience of absolutely top right work and absolutely right and some of these players you know Mickey Droy never ever for me was ever. Um, mm. uh, a, a top player and it, it was, was proven why the position that the team was in um john sparrow graham wilkins all of these but ian Britton bustled he was described yeah. as bustling yeah. never ever did i think he's a this is a top player even no. then i'm giving him the opportunity but little did we know at the time that the 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 basis of the team for the next few years was going to be around this lot none of whom we thought that we were thinking, well, it's a youth. Let's get that always that thing of we, we were always we always root for the youth. We always get behind them mm -hmm. because we want them to be the future. Yeah. We want them to be a great player. We want them to come through and improve, as has been examples of players. Hollins was a perfect example, you know. So. That's a good point. And actually, that's a good segue, JK, because uh, we're going to have a quick break and then we're going to come back. And as so often, you know, I, you know, you're a historian, Rick, but I'm I, I'm always tickled by history's unerring knack to repeat itself and there's a couple of points one of them which i'll get into in a minute but what is what is it about chelsea around christmas time and our ability to implode as a football club and really this is what we're going to talk about next uh, in, in part three because matters really did start to come to a head this season uh, around christmas time so we'll be back in a, in a minute but before we do before we do i'm going to plug something because i like to do that around these breaks that's kind of what they're for but patreon of course is our little kind of website thingy where you can basically donate us beer money how delightful <laughs> what a great idea um it's a good place to come and have a natter with your old uncle chidge if you want but it does help to uh, you know, cover the costs of running the show, which are, are, are actually quite considerable. A bit like Chelsea building the East Stand, <laughs> you know, the money comes in, and like a bath hole plug, it comes out just as quickly. But there you go. <laughs> Not all of it on beer, I have to say. But anyway, if you want to donate uh, and uh, you know, keep in touch with what's going on, and we do well when there's football, we do try and provide you exclusive videos, like me and Jonathan talking absolute nonsense straight after the game down a video camera. I mean, that's worth that's worth a tenner a month of anybody's money, I think, just to keep us off the air, really. But anyway, Patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast uh, and as I said it's a good way to get a hold of me and all sorts of other kind of content that we don't really provide anybody else you know what Jonathan I, I've had a brainwave which we all know is a very dangerous thing you know you know the Chelsea fancast trivia quiz that we never ever have time to do you kept talking about every week and we never got there it was kind of became my in joke didn't it basically Rick uh, it was Cliff the blue yank Cravello turned up to the benches in Putney Station once armed with a, what looks like Chelsea Trivial Pursuits. For, for obvious copyright reasons, they don't call it that, but it's the same game. 
and and we thought it'd be fun to play it when we didn't have any football to talk about. But oh, yeah. of course, we we've never actually left enough time at the end of the show to ever do it. So it remains in abeyance. But I'm thinking maybe Jonathan, what we should do is that you and I get on here at a, a regular time once of a week, maybe, and invite some of our Patreon people on Zoom to play with us, and we can have a prize at the end of the been outside the fan cast. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to look in my diary. I'm sorry, I'm terribly busy. Yeah. I'll speak to you. I'll, I'll, I'll speak to your agent. I'll speak to your agent, love. We're sorry, no, we I'd won't make. To. I'd love to. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could do that. I just thought that might be a, a nice thing to do. You know, they're all writing in now saying, "No, no, we two shows a week. We don't want any more." Yeah, listening? we got. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. We've got people in there. The usual suspects. Uh, anyway, yeah, Patreon. Get on it, people. It all helps. We'll be back in a minute. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, uh, part three, as if by magic. It's gone so quickly as it always does. Um, delighted tonight, of course, got Jonathan Kidd, as always, me, well, Stanford Chidge. But uh, also the lovely Rick Glanville. Very appropriate that we should have somebody with a mighty brain like Rick on our shows at the moment because, of course, we're going back uh, over seasons past, uh, 50 years of Chelsea. We're now up to 73, 74. And I don't know about you, JK, but I've I've been sat here wrapped by what Rick has had to say about most of the proceedings thus far. But I just plug him in. I don't know know. bothering. We could go and have a cup of tea or something, (laughs) couldn't we? (laughs) Yeah. That, that you'll get a lot more listeners too if we do that i don't know. know about that i don't know about that all right so look it's been up and down pretty it's kind of been in in a weird sense it's like a bit up and down but on a downward trajectory and the early the part of the season down. yes the tra- trending downwards as they say uh and that's kind of been the story i mean there were a few highlights as i said oh actually i wanted to ask you this before we get into this jonathan because i i i, I, I yeah Aussie scored his 100th league goal. I forget the match. Rick, thank you, Rick Newt. And Ever- the Everton match was uh, on the 10th of November, 1973. We won 3-1. But who was a guest that day? None other. Ooh, 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 ooh. Go on, Rick. Go on, go on, go on. Steve McQueen. You got it in one. Now, the reason I want to talk to Jonathan about this, because this would have perhaps been the period when him and his dad... No, because it predates the East Stand... I'm just wondering. I mean, Dickie Attenborough brought him along, didn't he? But yeah, do, do you, yeah, do you remember doing, that? Maybe they were doing the Great Escape at the time, and that was shooting. Seventy-three. In. No way, Jose. That was made ten years before. Are you sure? Yes, absolutely positive. Well, Sixty-three. I think, doing well, I think he'd been together? there before at Stamford Bridge. He'd, so, he'd but sixty-three was was um, when he came to when he was introduced to the players in the uh, dressing room. Lit up a what fag. What was he doing? What was he working with Attenborough then? He was on. A... I don't know. I don't think he was actually working with Attenborough. I think he was in London. He was in London mates, and he, he'd been friends. Know. He had worked with him in in. Um, yeah, exactly. Not so only just like check me out and I'll take you to the game. You know. else. He, what had he been? Sat the sand pebbles or something? He'd been in that with him or something? Had been another another film that. Um, we, what was the one that we, was the uh, Thomas Crown affair? When was that? Late 60s. He wasn't in that, but... No, he wasn't in that. No, no, no. no. Uh, You're right, of course, The Great Escape was much earlier. Yeah, but that's where they'd met originally, wasn't it? Yeah. Johnny, yeah. you would have loved... Mike, when I... One of the times I interviewed Love, uh, Lord Lovey, as everyone lovingly referred to him as, 
he started, so I said to him, so come on, he was such a lovely man. He was very generous with his time and things. And he loved talking about Chelsea. And I said to him, so come on, who did you, Steve McQueen, tell me about that. So he told me about it. And he said he was as excited to meet the Chelsea players like Osgood and people. He said he knew them all and he was excited, as excited to meet them as they were to meet him and everything like that. So I said, who else went and he, but what he did was in typical Lord Attenborough fashion, just reeled off this list of first names and nicknames, you know, oh, Duke was there, I think, and, you know, uh, Larry and Johnny and (laughs) (laughs) And so afterwards I kind of had to translate it from, get a copy of Titbits out and look up what all the actors' nicknames were and things. But of course it was John Wayne, Laurence Olivier, John Gilgood, and of course Steve McQueen was there as well. I love the fact that Steve McQueen, therefore de facto, is a Chelsea fan. You know, of course, like like Raquel Welch. So we got Raquel Welch the season before. We got Steve McQueen this season. Apparently, uh, the, uh, you, I can't remember where Tim got this from, but apparently Eddie McCready, uh, Steve uh, McQueen went into the players' dressing room after the win, and is congratulating Aussie, and he and he gets a, a fag out of his fag packet, and Eddie McCready kind of leapt up like a like a little fanboy and lit it for him. And, <laughs> Which I just conjured up a hilarious image for me. But this is um, a temporary so that, changing room, remember? Yeah, the porter cabins. So, uh, what would Steve um, McQueen were they done by the about? office? They're done by the yes. office, weren't they? The, the old ivy-covered offices that yeah. were down there. There, yeah. Anyway, I um, discovered some um, footage on my father's uh, from my father's um, um, uh, movie cameras. Is not super eight, eight millimeter of the office with um, Venables and uh, and amazing. Past, yeah, yeah. And they they weren't sure it was because of course he's hidden by the by the camera and mm. uh, and they recognise him after a bit. Yes, yeah, some it's um it's a nice um, and they're they're suited and booted as all players were in that period, weren't they? They, they were, and they were probably going up to play billiards in the billiard room. Ah, right. was the billiard room in the in the office? Yes, on the side where the where the railway track is now on right. that side in one of in an upstairs room there. That's where Catty got his nickname. Uh, Peter Bonetti was named the cat there by I think it was Ron Tindall, someone like that. They were playing for, for catching, billiards. catching a billiard no, ball. Nothing to do with that at all. Um, what it was was that um, they were playing billiards, and I think it was Ron Tindall. I could be wrong. Did like a kind of uh, radio commentary of what was going on in the match. So like, oh, and here he comes. Here comes Bonetti. They call him the cat, and that stuck. There we go. I, I've I've heard that. I, mean, I think you're right. It is Montindo. For cricket for Surrey, of course. Jim. Yes, Can't he remember. did. Yeah, I forget Chelsea where I got that from. All right, back to the football. Um, so it's been a pretty poor start to the season. We 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 struggling to get out of the lower quarter of the uh, of the league table. But in a sense, things really came to a head. Uh, would you believe it? On Boxing Day, a number of appalling performances I've seen on Boxing Day in my time. This fills me with nothing but uh, abhorrent uh, agreement, really. But Chelsea, Chelsea managed to be two 0 up against West Ham on Boxing Day and managed to conspire to lose four two, largely due to some appalling defending. I think again, Hollins was back in defence for some strange Sexton uh, strategic masterpiece. Uh, Clyde Best uh, scored a couple of goals, but I think I could have scored them from judging from all accounts. I've seen no footage of this, so I'm riffing a bit, but the, the way that it's been written, it sounds very much like it. And then uh, three days later, we, we have Liverpool at home. Of course, Liverpool are the champions. 
uh, at the time. And we lose 1-0. And that puts us in 18th position. So we're basically, uh, I think, uh, three went down that season for the first time. So we were, you know, hovering. Relegation started to be talked about as a a real possibility around then, from what I'm understanding, Rick. Yeah, and Sexton was very nervous about it. I think he was given the support uh, of the board. He was reassured that because of his success, you know, three cup finals in three seasons, that he would be supported. But you could tell that he was very nervous. And I think JK's right that this was um, someone who was very sure of his tactical acumen. And I think he was probably frustrated that the players, particularly ones he'd brought in, weren't able to apply uh, his tactical brilliance to a a game situation. And also frustrated that the ones he knew could, uh, the likes of Baldwin, Hudson... No, Bourbon had scored nine goals so far that season. Our, and well, he was our top scorer with nine yeah. that season. But the Liverpool game, uh, well, I mentioned it before. This is the one that we were talking about where uh, Ozzy was made the captain. And that was his last game until he came back in 1979-80. Um, last game for Chelsea. And the you talk about the uh, Christmas. The only reason we think about Christmas and its potential for disaster, the um, the season of good grief. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> that is the concentration of matches. Yeah. And that's the historic thing in English football because we played on the 22nd, 26th and 29th that season. And it's the fact that you have these potential, potential for calamity juxtaposed in such a concentration that makes you remember it. And if you get into a mood where players are in, don't forget if players are injured and they can't, they're not going to recover after a day or two, they're going to be out. You know, so this is the problem that you have. Uh, it just rolls it one thing rolls into another. Well, the, the right the writers felt. I think actually, do you know what? You know, I said eleven o'clock kickoff. I think I think the West Ham match was an eleven o'clock kickoff. Oh, on the Boxing Day, yes, quite. Yeah, yeah we always uh, used to play morning on Boxing Day. Well, the, the the press uh, at the time were reckoned that half the players were still pissed from from Christmas Day. Hey, not just the not just the journalists, mate. I bet J.K. like me would be standing in the shed saying, "Oh, he looks like he's had too much Christmas pud." That's what everyone used to say. <laughs> standing there with our stiff gloves that we've got in the West Christmas. Stand, Rick. Oh, sorry. Terribly no, no, sorry. No, no, don't apologise. You can your jewellery too. No, 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 no. I just meant that because my dad's seat, my dad's seat had been in the old East Stand, ah. obviously, and they moved us all to but the West happened. End. Yeah. And uh, and I remember spending um, a large amount of time... Uh, um, uh, they tried to reassemble the same people, obviously, we'd been sitting, yeah. but making new friends as a consequence of, uh, of, ah. of sitting there. And um, and I, I remember I was doing a... I managed to get large numbers of people to come and see me in a, in a National Youth Theatre production that I was in. Really? Before from people around me yeah and I think that and they never mentioned it I think they were bitterly disappointed but, <laughs> but, but, but I remember I got them to come and um but you know there's just just a moment there Chidge, when you mentioned Clyde Best scoring and it just I, I, I hate it the way that one remembers this moments come in your mind and you think yeah. oh god I was there mm. and I've remembered that moment and how horrendous it was for the 4-2 and I'd forgotten. I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've forgotten about it. They're just suddenly you're this flash of best scoring and thinking, yes, oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, please. I can't bear that. But, 
Do you know yeah. what makes it worse, though? Really, in a way, is that losing to a West Ham who were who had a really bad season. In fact, it was a really terrible season all around for London clubs. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham, Tottenham season was so bad that if you look on the Wikipedia entry for Tottenham season 1973-74, it says something like, um, please, if you, if you want to contribute something here, please do. It's completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to be fair to Tottenham, I like that approach. Just pretend it never happened. Yeah, section empty, it says. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like their trophy cabinet. Did well, you see what push. they did this week? They've got this chat. Somebody tweeted the, the, the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Oh. The 2-2 two, two, when they just kicked us. As, well, as it is, them the was a positive when they lost the, lost the league. This is seen as a positive, kicking somebody, kicking a team. We, we must, we must glorify this. You go, what is the support? Well, that Jonathan mentality about when you do that. The, their eyes have seen the glory, apparently. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, getting back to the defeat to Liverpool, which I think Jonathan and Rick were also at. Yeah. Um, that, in a sense, I, I think this is really when Chelsea's history shifted inexorably Tectonic to a downward place. path. Tectonic plate, exactly, because basically what happened then before the Sheffield United game, which was the next game, we were due to play them up in uh, Bramall Lane. Uh, but uh, Sexton drops Benetti, Hudson, Baldwin and Osgood. And this is the story that uh, you were talking about earlier yeah. on, where, whereby basically Hudson and Ozzy refused to train, is the story that we're all, we're all told. And as a consequence, they get suspended and transfer listed. And really, from there, there was no way back, was there? Well, I think Hudson, it actually extended a little bit further than that because we we were scheduled to play Kipiani in the third round of the FA Cup. And... Um, Cancel, wasn't it? Yeah. On the fifth. No, we, we drew nil-nil. Yeah. And um, we lost one nil away in the replay. And Dave yeah. Webb was pleading with Sexton to say, look, we're going to lose this if you don't bring them back. Um, and he said, I've told you, Webby, we've, they're suspended. And so he said, Webby said to me, he said, he said to Dave Sexton, well, just can't you unsuspend them? <laughs> That's right. And um, of course he didn't. And actually Webby played up front. He played centre forward for us that day and we lost 1-0. We did. So that was another plank. You know, what you could always, Chelsea would do, hadn't traditionally been vying for the league, but you could always rely on us to reach a final or get close and to have that removed the league cup and then the fa cup and to qpr uh was was terrible i think qpr didn't they finish i think they finished this top london club they did season which was a bitter thing to swallow but you're right by then the die was cast you know that that uh that coterie of great players uh decided that they weren't going to play for the club anymore and they were great they were great players brilliant players absolutely great there were some wonderful wonderful players there the joy that hudson used to give me from a 19 20 21 he was 22 when he was transferred for goodness ridiculous he wasn't even anywhere near his prime oh and of course he gets sold uh for two hundred and forty thousand quid which let's face it chelsea needed we'll get into the whether that might have been lying behind it as well. But Definitely. as luck would have it, uh, he gets sold. And the next game we play is Stoke City away. Yeah. And he walks out as captain, doesn't he, I think? Yeah. For Stoke. 
And he, uh, I can't remember what it was. He did something. I remember now. I remember he did something that the Chelsea players were really furious about. I think he went up to the fan and gave them the finger. Yes, I think it was something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Because he didn't was, score. He scored in the in the match. I think he won uh, a penalty. I think did it, was that the one where they they won with a penalty. I think he may have earned a earned a yeah, penalty. Yeah, and the players all thought he dived. Yeah, but you yeah. could. But isn't that interesting as well? That it's clear that this was a, there were factions within the squad. Some people felt that what that coterie had done was wrong. They disagreed with the way that they uh, they'd carried on. And so they wouldn't support, they weren't in favour of what Hudson was doing coming back. They weren't prepared to forgive. They probably felt slightly angry that at what but he got, got booed, on. didn't he? Yeah, he, he got well, booed. The fans fans booed him. But... He got booed at the bridge, didn't he, in the one yeah, definitely he did. But what yeah. I'm saying is people, the players and supporters were attributing some portion of blame to the breakup of that brilliant team on, the, on the, those protagonists. And, uh, Huddy, Huddy, particularly, actually. Yeah. I, there was a lovely quote. I can forgive me. I can't remember for the life of me where from. That it was that actually Hudson was the main problem. Uh, and it, it, you know, Aussie was actually, uh, you know, not, not as strong a character as Hudson in many respects. Hudson was far more, you know, willful and strong-headed. And in fact, willful, he had been, yeah, yeah he had been agitating for a move, a move and had yeah. been. Quite antagonistic for a long, long time. But actually, that brings us. Uh, sorry, Jake, I'll bring you in a sec. But that brings us interestingly to Osgood because they're both, you know, transfer listed. Uh, Hudson goes yeah. quickly to Stoke, but but Aussie doesn't. Now the interesting thing is that apparently Aussie Baldwin and Dempsey were all uh, transfer listed, but nobody wanted them. That's what I mean. Talk about history repeating. Another thing that comes through a lot of what Tim was writing about was all the. The media, the press speculation of all the clubs that were in for Osgood, all absolute bollocks, and actually nobody wants him. I mean, I'll get onto it in a minute because he eventually goes at the end of the season. But that that was interesting, and I would have thought Rick a real wake up call for Aussie. Yeah, and uh, don't forget that there were the problems he was having with the Eng- getting in the England side again, and so I, I would have felt, uh, I would have thought that at that time. I mean, I, I interviewed him a couple of times, Aussie. And he did, he, at the time, I don't think he felt he'd done anything wrong. But with uh, the benefit of hindsight, I think he, he did acknowledge that he'd taken things too far. But at the same time, I think he, I think it was such a kind of, the, as you pointed out, it's like a marriage that's gone wrong. You can come back and meet five years ago and you might rekindle something, five years later, and you might rekindle something, rediscover what it was that attracted you to each other in the first place. It, everything had gone wrong. It, it, they they needed to make a, a clean break. They needed to uh, shift players out and shift new ones in. And that was the problem. There weren't replacements for the likes of Osgood and Hudson. And, well, Charlie Cook came back, of course. Charlie had gone and he came back. But uh, other than that, there, wasn't the mag- there weren't the magicians the magicians yeah. No left. creative players. Yeah, it had been yeah. a fabulous side, and there was no way that they were going to try. And, the only way of trying to to maintain the fabulousness of that side was to have got um, similar, as we said earlier, similarly excellent yeah. star players with quality, with that star aspect that both Hudson and Osgood. Stardust. Had. That's what yeah. none. 
And that's what was lacking. The one thing you could say, though, I'll probably jump in the gun. Chigi's going to jump on me in a, uh, if I say this. The one thing was when, in March, when a young player made his debut for us, a 17-year-old, and you immediately saw over the ensuing uh, games that he played for us that there was a really big star, and that was Ray Wilkins. Yeah. And of all Three the players, none against Norwich. Yeah, and uh, of all the young players that came through, you're right, JK, I agree with you. They were triers, they were honest, and yeah. uh, to a degree, I think Gary Locke was a Gary Locke was an exception. Good. I think Gary Locke was a terrific, terrific yeah, player. I, I agree. A better team, I think he'd have played for England, actually. I, I absolutely agree. And also, another one, perhaps a little too fearless for his own good. Uh, he was injured too regularly as well. And um, But Ray Wilkins, for, for people of my age, he was such someone, a, a real hero. And um, to see a 17-year-old pointing to his teammate saying, <laughs> run there and I'll pass it to you, you know, just extraordinary yeah, yeah. to see. He, so He had that from the very beginning, didn't he? He did, absolutely. He was an incredible player, incredible player. Mm, and so there was, that was a, one of the straws that you could clutch to and the, another one was be, beating Tottenham. But, um, that's, Always. Yeah. Um, all right, so Hudson's gone. Nobody wants Aussie. Eventually, he, he does go, literally on the last day. There was a deadline day in March in those days. Yes. And uh, just before the end of the season, about a month or month and a half to go before the end of the season. Nobody wants Aussie at all. Um, From Sinner to Saints. Well, indeed. Well, I mean, he was kind of holding out for, for better deals, wasn't he, a lot of the time. Yeah. for those. I mean, Derby were interested in him for a while, but I also think he, that he expected some really big clubs like City, Liverpool or, or Leeds to come in for them, but none of them did. So eventually he goes to Southampton, who actually end up getting relegated that season, but are, are drifting around the relegation zone at the time, uh, for 275 grand, which, which is just astonishing. There's a lovely... Uh, a comment. He again, like like Hudson, ends up playing uh, Chelsea. In fact, on the sixth of April in seventy four, uh, Chelsea go down to the Dell. It's a nil nil draw, and I think he's quoted as saying, "It's not, it's not, not really Chelsea, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no shit, Aussie. <laughs> yeah. Where have all their players gone? Like me. Yeah. <laughs> he effectively ruined his career, though, didn't he? By by making this choice to go down. Well, he did win a cup, a cup medal well, two years later. Yeah, but, yeah. All right, but. He should have. You wonder whether what was the reason why clubs didn't want to come in for him. Whether it was he had a real, really spiteful side as a as a player, which uh, well, which I think made him made him very, very um, combative. It made him uh, um, uh, his aggression kept him actually at the at the top of his game. Yeah, because there was a spitefulness about him that uh, you just have to look at those that that that. The bearded moment when they well, how many beards did Chelsea have in that side? When the bearded he, strikers. When he when he uh, when he goes up and kicks Hunter, and you just look yes. at him and think, actually, there is a side to you that I can understand why um, some purist managers might think that you'd be difficult because you're you're exhibiting that on the football field. And it was a side to him and a and a kind of bolshy approach to things that made me go off him as a supporter. I'm afraid I I. Yeah. I, I lost, I found the whole of that season, um, whether rightly or wrongly, I found his performances so sporadic and so... Sullen, and, weren't they? I agree sullen, with you. That, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's the exact word. So sullen that I actually thought, I don't care anymore. And I didn't want to have that happen with him because he'd been such yeah. a brilliant hero. 
Mm. But it was that fact that it, whether that was because of the manager. But once again, I thought we've not talked about the board here. I really think the board were hugely to blame in this situation Absolutely. by allowing these these things to take place on the pitch and not to. And I suppose they had faith in Sexton, but they should somehow somebody somebody should have come forward and said. This cannot happen. We cannot have this as a reflection well, of the club. Well, the they should have anticipated how bad it was going to get. Yeah. And that that's the point, you know, that I think that they were still kind of high as kites after 70 and 71 and winning yeah. the, those trophies and still believing the hype about the youngest board in, you know, in the, in the top flight and all this sort of stuff. They were still acting as if they were, a, even though they were in uh, huge debt, they were still trying to compete with all the other clubs and how generous their hospitality would be. I mean, they were very pampered and self-indulgent. And unfortunately, they weren't indulgent of the playing uh, squad. And that was where, the when it all comes down to it, you can, everything else pales into insignificant. If the players aren't good enough, then you're going to struggle yeah, every time. Mm. Well, just just go back to Aussie for a sec. Close out, let's close out the Aussie and uh, and and Hudson sagas, and then talk about Sexton and perhaps the wider context of this, which of course are the board and the financial issues. But I mean, Rick, do you, do you think Aussie could have stayed? And and if he had stayed, would it have been the right decision given what we've just kind of gone through? The only scenario I can see where he would have stayed would be a change of manager. Yeah. Say, for example, we'd brought in a Brian Clough or someone like that, someone of that calibre, um, a new broom, uh, and maybe brought in with them one or two star players. Then I think the whole thing would have shifted around completely. I agree completely. It would have been a, a completely different Chelsea in the mid in The, the, mid the manager would have brought in a couple of players that he'd been used to playing with who fitted his style exactly. and it exactly. would have uh, and everybody would have wanted to have played for this manager because it was an as you say a new broom and that's what happens with new managers and everybody makes an effort and i think the board once again i'm sorry i i keep going back about this i think the board were were completely myopic about this whole situation yeah yeah um, and 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 the whole business of 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 the players on the pitch is what should have been, they should have been their focus. I know that they were worried about not being able to build the stand, but they surely should have made the connection that the success on the pitch would have allowed them to have invested more money or kept the investment going. Absolutely, well, I, I, absolutely absurd to me. I wonder if, if, you know, I mean, this is a good question to ask Rick, actually, you know, Sexton always comes across to me as a very kind of upright, honourable decent man actually i mean i'm sure he had yeah. his failings i'll go into that in a minute but basically this is a very straight guy and he liked the club he had a good relationship with the board and i i reading between the lines of, of tim's book particularly i always get this sense that we were in so much much bigger financial shit than really the, the 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 public were privy to and i don't i mean all these statements by mir saying oh well we'll sell all's good and then we'll give sex and all the money to go and buy some really top players i i get the impression that that was rubbish bravado and that that there was no ch chance in hell of sex and getting his hands on a decent because if you look through all of the people that we were linked with um you know over the last kind of year or two they were all lower tier players we were never seriously in for the big boys that the press was speculating about. Sexton was Phil Boyer, 
for example, mm. from Bournemouth, was constantly linked to us. These are the kind of players that Sexton was looking at because he didn't have the money to spend. So I wonder, Rick, you know, were the financial issues a much bigger problem for the club at that time than the player and the personality issues? Um, I don't know. I think I've just to touch on what you were saying there about Dave Sexton, I think, unfortunately, he had grown to mistrust Flair and... How English? I, well, I always say that um, he wanted to bring in a bit of, He wanted to turn Chelsea more roundhead than Cavalier. Um, Doherty was a, this kind of dynamic, um, off the cuff, uh, running, you know, fast, bustling kind of uh, approach. Sexton wanted something more thoughtful, more tactical. He was a lover of Italian and a Hungarian football, and he tried to implement tactics and have versatility uh, in the players like that's why he loved Kemba and uh, he thought Garland could, uh, sorry um, uh, I'm trying to think Garner Garner could play in in midfield like Ozzy had and you know Bill Garner just didn't have the same kind of technique that these other maestros that we've had in midfield had so there was a uh, and I wonder whether but to to, to answer what you you're your point about whether the money was a bigger issue. Um, I think there could have been players that we would have, we could have invested in that we could have got at a reasonable price perhaps, or for equivalent to what we were paying for the likes of Garland and, uh, and, and Kemba and people like that, that would have uh, given us a, maintained that creative spark, but probably wouldn't have fitted into the mindset that Sexton had at that time. Don't forget this is always something that people forget. Man United got relegated this season. Now, were there any Man United players, for example, that we could have gone to and, and tried to hire? George um, Best? <laughs> well, it's uh, probably not then. I think uh, he already. I think he'd already left. He'd been he? bought. He'd been brought back by Tommy Dock. Right. Yes, that's right. But not not with a, a shall we call it unequivocal success. He got a nicked about a week later for slapping some bird in a nightclub. <laughs> but there. But, you know, but this is what I'm thinking about. They weren't. I think the problem was that they weren't as the board weren't as smart as they thought they were. They weren't mm. able to do that wheeler dealing and get the real bargains. They they went for the low lying fruit that Sexton saw was readily available. Ones you could mm. eat, you could easily go to South End and Crystal Palace and teams like that and get. I suppose if, he, if he's saying all the time, I can make this work. If he's saying that I can do it with these, because my way of playing is uh, yeah, the, system, the industrial yeah. type, the industrious games that he had, the effort, and occasionally they'd come up with a win playing like that with none of the stars, and he'd say, "Look, we we, we didn't need to have the stars playing in this." He would he would he would say that to the press. Sheffield United was the perfect example. Yeah. 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 You know, you drop all the players and um, uh, and you go out and win. And, um, Ken, and he kept saying the scores in that go- in that game as well. So yeah. that would have been vindicated. He, he 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 did see that because we did actually you know have a decent ish run, or we, we stopped you know losing as frequently after he did implement those changes, and he he used that to validate himself. Just just want to go quickly back to to Hudson, uh, and because this kind of links in with Sexton in a way. I mean, on the one hand, I think you can you can look. And actually, perhaps the two go hand in hand, because you could quite happily sit here and say that, you know, Hudson wasted his Chelsea career. 
I mean, I know he achieved a lot in a short space of time. He obviously helped help win us the the Cup Winners' Cup. Mm. It's very unlucky to not make the final in '73 injury. Mm. But really, after that, his contributions to Chelsea were not. I mean, I think the point being, uh, Rick, is that when he when he went to Stoke, and okay, played in the position that he was best at, mm. he was a phenomenal player. Mm. He played for England, okay, again, perhaps because of his personality, he didn't have the England career he should have done. But, of course, the, the, the debut against West Germany, the current world champions in 75, and Beckenbauer said he was the best international debut he'd ever seen. So this guy had all the talent at his disposal. And I wonder, you know, did he waste his Chelsea career? Or was he validated by leaving Chelsea where his talent was able to flourish? I think he would say he was... It, uh... Again, if Sexton was still going to remain the manager, it wasn't going to be something that he would want to be part of. Um, when watching Alan Hudson in the uh, from seventy onwards uh, until seventy two, seventy three, uh, it was like watching a Brazilian player because the way that he played, uh, the the fluidity of his movement, he could pick the ball up on the edge of his, he would. But Hudson, for people that don't know what he was like as a player, um, a goalkeeper would have the ball and Huddy might run back into the box and just say, give it to me. And he would pick the ball up in his own box and run forward with it, dribble past three or four players, play a one-two, and he'd be up the other end in a few seconds. That was and getting a shot off or bending a swerving a pass out to the wing or something, a really incredible uh, a player. But he didn't do it all the time. And by the time, where the season we're talking about, um, it was few and far between. Great performances and then just nothing, insipid. And um, so he needed a move and we needed probably either to change the coaching staff that we had to, to re-energise him or we needed just to get rid of him because he was trouble. Right, well, look, talking to Sexton, I'm going to read this. Uh, <clears throat> this is from Paul Dobson in the Kensington Post at the time, uh, predominantly about Sexton. Interestingly, it picks up on what you were saying about Brian Clough. But the directors know the trend must be reversed, and for all their debt to Sexton, their businessmen who realise they cannot be loyal at any price. He inherited a damn good side from Doherty, and in five years, nobody of note has been introduced to the team. Locke is the only youngster to have proved he is good enough for the first team. He's failed in the transfer market. He played well or out of position, sold him, and he has flourished. All his forward signings have been flops, and he's virtually ignored the defence, which is not up to first division standard. Worst of all, they have failed in the league. Seats need to be filled every week, not just for the occasional cup tie. The sad thing is, Sexton is a nice man. Maybe he is too nice. Chelsea need a dynamo if their new stand is to prove money well spent. Brian Clough, for all of his talk, could do the job. So could several other men. Sexton, I'm afraid, can't. And that was written around the time when Hudson and, and Osgood were on their way out. Yeah, and it's difficult to disagree with a lot of what is said there, to be honest. Um, it's what most supporters would have been thinking, but without the insight that maybe a uh, football reporter... Uh, attending the, the Paul Langan of his day, yeah, good old Paul. Uh, <laughs> you know, asking the difficult questions and hearing from the players, hearing their side of it as well in, in, in private conversations. What we saw, I think, was just perplexing. I don't know if J.K. agrees. We 
we couldn't understand how uh, a team that had been successful for for three years could just the main people could just fall out so spectacularly and no one would bring them together and you know as yeah. the parlance of the day knock their heads together and knock some sense into them and make them work together absolutely we but couldn't was, understand was, we couldn't understand what was no, going no, it, on and why no one was taking control of the situation yeah, yeah it was watching a team and you think he's not trying he's yeah. not interested he's not he's not um he doesn't want to be there and that was the constant thing as a as a fan I sometimes think that board and, and management don't appreciate that we can see what's going on um, as, as easily as they can, or perhaps they're, they're blinder than we are. Um, and uh, it was depressing. It was depressing. And that's why I said I, I, I found that Os Osgood just swanned about. And, uh, and I, felt, I felt for Hudson because you could see that he, he keep, kept playing him at right wing. He and, did. And he wanted, and he played, as you said, he played Kemba in the middle. And you thought, why is he doing this? Yeah. And you could see Hudson really didn't enjoy it. And um, um, and defensively, it was it was not sham, shambolic, but just not good enough. You know, you just, you, but once again, we as fans are aware of this and you don't understand why it's not being implemented. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And again, it's our prerogative not to care about the finances. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, we had... You had the what was it the Chelsea Pools thing was the equivalent yes. of the Bridge at the time, where you, and that was contributing tens of thousands to the coffers. Uh, so we could just ignore that. We paid our season ticket money or our ticket money, our entrance admission fees, and that was our. We were we were paying into the coffers, We'd, and we were entitled to tell them how they should spend some of that money. And if we wanted them to go out and buy a Tony Curry or a Kevin Beatty or someone like that, they should go out and do it and improve, or rather improve, yes, but stop the rot. Because all of us had that sinking feeling. Uh, you could see some of these other big teams were struggling. Man United were, as I say, were relegated in 73, 74. That, to a lot of supporters of my age, was like, blimey, if Man United can get relegated, anyone can. And I think the sinking feeling that I remember from this season, but especially the following season, 74, 75, it just felt like literally the bottom was falling out of your world. And when you were watching them, sometimes the world was falling out of your bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And of course, uh, next week, uh, the ship sinks and we do end up getting relegated. But I won't spoil it beyond that. If you don't know that, you shouldn't be a Chelsea fan anyway. <laughs> But, uh, right, I'm going to thank Rick hugely for his input on that, uh, and Jonathan, of course. But before we do all that, a quick couple of uh, plugs. Actually, it's quite relevant, because the, the little podcast that me and the uh, infamous Martin King have been doing uh, cover so much of this ground, actually, with the players that, that we've interviewed, including uh, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Kerry Dixon, Johnny Boyle, Bummers, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, and Canners, uh, which are all just fabulous. But the ones from the... Kings and the Kings Road era are particularly fab, uh, fantastic and informative about this era. And you can uh, download all of them at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, small charge for each one, £2.99, uh, which is less than a cup of Costa coffee, which you can't actually buy at the moment. So instead of buying your Costa coffee, go and spend it on a Chelsea special. It will enrich and uh, amuse your life and all sorts of other good things. Um, ChelseaSpecial.podbean.com. It's easy to do. They're all on the homepage there. Just scroll down the ones you want. 
buy single episode now. I think you can do it via credit card or PayPal. There you go. Uh, there's also a website, ChelseaSpecial.com. And, of course, we're on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special and the Chelsea Special on Facebook. 